Peter. Feel free to dust off any disgusting crust on the seat. All right, all right. Not as bad as my desk. We're all set. Let's go. All right, New Hampshire. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. So as you've probably noticed, this week's scrum sounds a little bit different than usual. That's because we are taking a rare road trip heading up to Manchester, New Hampshire to interview Joe McQuaid, the publisher of the Manchester Union Leader. And as some listeners will know, McQuaid is this kind of legendarily cantankerous figure when Frank Ginta, the Republican congressman, uh, was accused of and copped to accepting 350,000 bucks in illegal campaign contributions. Joe McQuaid published an editorial in the union leader that said simply, Frank Ginta is a damned liar and was signed Joseph McQuaid, publisher. Um, he also was engaged earlier this year in this really public spat with Fox News when Fox News decided that it was gonna limit participation in that first Republican debate to the top, I think it was 10 candidates. So McQuaid, again, as some listeners will remember, turned around and said, you know, you're making an end run around New Hampshire. You're weeding out candidates based on name recognition and not much else. So we're gonna hold a forum of our own at St. Anselm College. Everyone's gonna be invited. It's too early to be grouping candidates into tier one and tier two. So Fox ended up, in a way, backing down. They agreed to have a, a second debate that was gonna be televised right before that main event, but it definitely gave the union leader sort of a start turn um, and reminded people that in this weird little idiosyncratic primary that has had so much of an impact on the, the presidential race in you know, the past many decades, that this one particular publication, the union leader, which is legendarily conservative, um, holds an outsized role and exercises outsized influence. Four thirty. What planet are you living on? That is a very good question. <laughs> uh, Joe, this is Amanda and Peter Kansas. Hi, Ned McGowan and Peter Kansas. How do I know that? Do you have any proof? ID? <laughs> no. <laughs> nice to meet you. Oh, look at this picture with Joe Biden. My friend Joe Biden. Yeah. <clears throat> Joe Biden came up to speak to the uh, Naki Road School First Amendment event one year. And he came up and uh, his people said, uh, please send us a copy of, uh, of an editorial that your paper ran once on Joe Biden. So that made me nervous. But I looked it up and I sent it to him. It's right here. This, this was the year that Biden was elected to the U.S. Senate. This was a front page editorial by William Loeb. Oh, that's fabulous. It was really legendary, okay? And he says, 
Biden is asking for a raise as a U.S. senator. Biden says, I don't, I don't know about others, but I, I am worth a lot more than my salary of $42,500 a year in this body. So Loeb says, can you imagine the conceit and stupidity of a young man of 30 who would say that? The voters of Delaware who elected this stupid, conceited jackass to the Senate should kick him in the rear to knock some sense into him and then kick themselves for voting for such an individual to represent them. So I make a copy of this and I give it to him that night to sign for me. And I don't get to look at what he's written until I get home about midnight, you know, long night. And this is what he's written. He may have been right at the time. <laughs> Very good. There's Mr. Biden. See, that's the union leader as a boy, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I know. Some guy today was, because was, was, um, we've introduced a new section to the paper as of Monday. It's from USA Today. And it's not the USA Today newspaper, but it is material from USA Today, composed and edited by USA Today, and we use it as the second section of the paper. And we only started it Monday, and so far the reaction has been more positive than negative, but some of the negative has been liberal trash. How can you have that in our newspaper? Get it out, or I'm going to have to stop my subscription. And I'm talking with one of my people today, and um, he says, well, you know, we're a real conservative newspaper. And I said, well, there's two minds of, of that. I think we're still fairly conservative, but we don't project it the way William Loeb did on the front page six days a week. He used to give us Sundays off. <laughs> that was that was go to church day. You know, I I I have a theory. I, I mean, I'm a Massachusetts boy, but my wife was from Concord, New Hampshire, mm -hmm. and uh, her her dad um, was for many years the deputy secretary of state up here in Concord. Um, Kelly, okay. Ed Kelly, yeah. um, but has the influx of Massachusetts residents to New Hampshire, you know over the last 30, 40 years, you know, dulled those great cantankerous edges that I don't New think so. I don't, it, it goes in cycles. Um, the last time the Democrats took over the state house was, was a couple of years back. Um, they got the governor, um, they had a U.S. senator, they had uh, two congresswomen. Um, and people said this is this is reflective of the new New Hampshire. 1978, when I was working here, we had a Democratic governor, Hugh Gallon, who beat Mel yeah. Thompson. We had two Democratic U.S. senators, Durkin and McIntyre, and a Democratic congressman from the first district, Demore. So it's not all that new. It goes back and forth. Right now we're we're purple. You know we've got. Yeah. The Republicans have taken back the legislature. The governor is still a Democrat, although I expect that to change this next time around because she's running against Ayotte, which is one of her dumber moves, but more power to her for doing that. So it goes back and forth. Mrs. Loeb, when she took over after her husband died, thought that the perfect use of the Rockingham racetrack would be to have all 
new residents who came from Massachusetts be quarantined there for two weeks, <laughs> and she would read them editorials from the paper over the loudspeakers. <laughs> it didn't work out. You were just talking about party balance swinging back and forth. What about, I think Peter is interested especially in the tone, right, the sort of crustiness? Is that what you're thinking of? You know, we talked about that, okay. and, and uh, he, he, he was saying it's cyclical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there's still the guy going into a store up country and looking around and asking where the union leader was and they were out of them and the store owner expressed surprise that the guy was interested he said I thought you didn't like that guy and the guy said I don't I gotta see what the son of a bitch is writing today <laughs> there's, there's, there's something to that so I'm, I'm I'm actually pleased that my readers are reacting to our introduction of a new um, section, which is USA Today material. Um, some of them like it, some of them don't like it. Here, I'll play you one. You have no unheard messages. Auto forwarded message received October 20th, 5.16 p.m. Joe McQuaid. Hello, Mr. McQuaid, this is New Hampshire. I'm a six-day-a-week subscriber. If um, if you're going to carry um, USA Today, um, I guess I'm going to have to let my subscription subside because I just I just can't tolerate it. it, it it's just awful. I think it's a terrible move on your part. Um, I know the newspaper business is tough, but uh, figure it out, will you? Thanks. Crusty New Englander, I know the newspaper business is tough, but figure it out, will you? <laughs> what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so I got to ask you, before I bring up the back and forth uh, with Fox News and their first debate and the voters' first forum, I got to ask you for your take on Joe Biden. How, uh, how do you think that changes the race up here? I think it solidifies it for, for Hillary. Uh, a lot of people in the country pay attention just to polls and they think Bernie Sanders is going to win New Hampshire. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Hillary is going to win New Hampshire, as she did last time when she lost the nomination to Obama. New Hampshire has a big female Democratic population. Half of them are in the legislature, and they like Hillary, and they want to see her. So I think Biden would have taken some of that away from her. Um, but probably not not enough. Um, it's not a real surprise that that Biden didn't get in this time. I think he's he's loved the effect and the glory. And we wrote an editorial saying, say, "Say it so, Joe." We wish he would have run because, compared in our perspective to some of the others, he's the adult in the room. So take me back to that moment earlier this year when. Fox News said that they were going to hold their first Republican debate and keep out some of the candidates. And you and the union leader very publicly, very aggressively said, no, this is a bad idea. You're trying to make an end run around us. You are going with national polls at a point where that doesn't make any sense. Uh, how did you decide to pick that fight the way you did? And do you think in retrospect that 
you ended up winning it? Oh, I think we won it. I think the people of New Hampshire won it because they got a chance to see all the candidates, as did a lot of the nation, because it got picked up. Uh, C-SPAN ran it, and uh, Hearst ran it. You're talking your voters first for them. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. was there for that. Right. Um, but it w I was in my newsroom speaking with my editor, and he said, we have a story being written about a hundred or so New Hampshire Republicans writing to the RNC and to Fox uh, protesting this way that they're doing this, that it's too early to do it simply by polls and to cut people out. And my editor, I'm going to wring his scrawny little neck because it took a lot of work thereafter, a lot of it is, said, we should do our own event and invite all the, <laughs> invite all the candidates. That's how it got started. But I read some stuff online about what the Fox people were saying. Things like, we will be winnowing the field this time around, not New Hampshire or Iowa. And that's, that's not TV's role, although that's what they're trying to do. And so we decided to have our own. And um, it was a little tricky at the beginning because the candidates, both the RNC and the Democratic National Committee, are trying to control things, even though they say it's not them, it's the networks. But if you go to a non-sanctioned event, then you can be penalized by being excluded from debates later on. And most of these candidates, they didn't know which way to move. So I give great credit to two of them, um, Carly Fiorina and John Kasich. Now, you could argue that they were low in the polls anyways, but they're further up in the polls now. They both told me, yes, they would do our event. And this was before the RNC gave the signal that our event is okay to do. You will not be sanctioned for it. And after we got those two, and we got newspapers in South Carolina and Iowa, which we happen to know because we're in an independent newspaper group with them, we got them aboard and TV in both those states. Then the candidate said, wow, we don't want to tick off the people in Iowa and especially New Hampshire because I think they probably knew that we would be writing an editorial if they didn't take part in it. Of course, my buddy Trump didn't take part in it. <laughs> so when that all went down, did you hear from Fox News? Did anyone at Fox nope. give you a call? Really? Nope. Mr. Ailes, Mr. Murdoch, it's like I don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> How about at the RNC? Rents Priebus, anyone? No, I talked to, I talked to a fellow at the RNC uh, who wanted to understand what our forum would be like and how it would be done. And his only concern was they didn't want to have it viewed as a debate with everybody on stage at the same time. They knew, I think, that we were going to do something anyways, and they didn't want to have a fight with Republicans in New Hampshire. Uh, so they just said, okay, your forum's okay. Everybody, all the candidates are going to be in the front row, and one at a time they would be called up on stage. But I think in two hours we got in more substance from 14 candidates than Fox did with 10, and if you... If you looked at the time clock on that, half of that time was Trump, and there was a few minutes for everybody else. So I think New Hampshire and people in South Carolina and around the country 
got to know these candidates. I think it helped Carly Fiorina in particular. Nobody outside of here knew who she was before. Kasich the same way. Let me try out a theory of mine here, and that's um, I'm surprised at how little effect, in the end, the media in general have had on this election, on the Republican side. Are you kidding? Well, other than, other than facilitating the rise of Donald Trump. <laughs> well, that's a pretty big other than. Uh, no, no, it's right there, but um, it just seems like the, the media attacks him, it's good for him. The media gives him a platform, it's good for him. Why do you think he's such a force of nature? I think much of the media want him in the race. The media, in general, would rather report on a poll and on something that somebody controversial said rather than go out and report on the boring substance of what people have to say, the candidates, on issues like foreign policy and Medicare and Medicaid, et cetera. So the easy stuff is the easy stuff. Trump is a brand. Trump came in here the first time to um, be interviewed, and I greeted him at the front door, and he was looking in back of me, and I turned around, and literally half of the people in this building were standing in back of me. That normally does not happen, um, but they wanted to see Trump, and my son said, he's three things. He's a TV personality, He's a business brand, and now he's running for president. People want to be with him. They want his autograph. They wanted to be pictured with him. That does not mean that they're going to vote for him. But I think Trump gets the attention. He, uh, he was feuding with Fox for a while. He told me the other day that CNN, it's all Trump all the time, baby. So <laughs> I, was, I was kidding him about that. We had lunch together at the aforementioned Dairyfield Country Club uh, when he was up here to do the uh, No Labels Forum. Yeah, right. Right? Which is a nice group, dumb name. No. What did you have for lunch? Uh, we, we had, he had a cheeseburger, I had a salad, we split the bill, it came to $22.50. I took out a $20 bill. He took out, it was like a Saturday Night Live skit, a bundle of cash, and and he's going, there's got to be a 20 in here somewhere because everything else was bigger. He's the reverse of John Kennedy who never yeah. had a buck in his pocket. <laughs> Trump, Trump has got a, a buck. I wrote a column um, when he came up here a year ago to do our Naki Loeb event that Joe Biden had spoken at, and I said, you got to take the guy seriously, and I knew he was running. This time was, was serious, and he has gone a long way. But I think that the New Hampshire voter is still going to do the winnowing process. And I told the Donald that I think he'll come in second because of the name recognition, et cetera. But a, a lot of the people that say, yeah, Trump, and that's the 25% that you see, I don't think are going to come out in February and vote for him. Are you willing to predict who you think will come in first? Um, after I endorse that person, <laughs> and not a minute before. <laughs> I, I have to say. We yeah. endorsed Sam Yorty, you know, back in 1972, and he, he had uh, four successful years in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, here, 
or, or, or maybe not. Um, Wait, who is it? That, that's Sam Yorty. Sam Yorty. That's actually the year I was born. My dad was teaching at St. Anselm, so I don't remember. But I don't even know the name, and I'm embarrassed. He was, to he was the mayor of Los, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. He right. was he was a Democrat, but a very conservative one. So William Loeb endorsed him, and on the Republican side, he was ticked off at Nixon for having done the China thing. So we uh, we endorsed a little known. Uh, Congressman, um, whose name escapes me at the moment. But I think this is such a crowded field that the union leader, which, you know, people are pretty grown up these days and can make their own choices. But in a, in a crowded field, I think the union leader's endorsement probably means something to conservative-leaning uh, readers. I'll tell you. John Ashbrook was the guy. John Ashbrook, that's right. Um, we know about a dozen, we, my wife and I, have, you know, between her relatives and our friends, you know, we know 15, 16 really regular New Hampshire voters. And I mm -hmm. poll them pretty regularly, and no one's made up their mind. I don't know where these polls come from. No one's made up. Some are interested in certain candidates. Yeah. Uh, few are interested in Trump. Um, a, a, a number were interested in Ted Cruz. Um, a bunch are interested in Bush. But they say, well, I'm interested in X, Y, or Z, but I haven't made up my mind yet. That, I think that's true. I think, And it's not the apocryphal, what do you think of this guy? I don't know. I've only met him three times so far. It's not that all New Hampshire people vet these guys in person all these times. It's that it's October, for crying out loud. We haven't had Halloween yet, although by some of the candidates, you could be scared into believing it. They're not going to pay attention until it gets a hell of a lot closer. Maybe the new year. Think of that. The year in which the election takes place, they may pay attention to it. So I think there was some... When I sat in the third row of our voters' forum over at St. Anselm's College and realize this is going out nationally, and all these candidates are here. And as a conservative, I thought, this is pretty darn good. This is a pretty good field. There's a lot of candidates here with some knowledge and experience, and I knew they wouldn't all last until February. Frankly, I was surprised that the two that dropped out so early, uh, Perry and Scott Walker. Um, but there are still some credible candidates in there, and it's going to be an interesting fight. You say you were surprised at Perry and Walker yeah. dropping out and dropping out when they did. Has anything else about the way this primary race on the GOP side has unfolded, or on the Democratic side for that matter, anything else surprised you about this election cycle? Well, I, I think the, the rise of Trump is, has surprised everybody. So that's all that the media talk about, which helps the rise of, of, of Trump. Um, other than that, no, it's, it's, a, it's a big field, but we've had big fields before. In 1980, when Reagan ran, he was against a pretty credible field of at least a half a dozen people, including Phil Crane and um, Bob Dole and uh, John Anderson and um, Howard Baker. Howard Baker. It was a pretty good field. And I remember these guys because they were all standing in back of uh, Reagan while Bush, George, the, the older, sat on his hands on the stage in Nashua and let Reagan run rings around him as the guy seizing command and paying for this microphone. Make an 
Would the, would the sound man please turn Mr. Reagan's mic off for a minute? Is this on? Mr. Green, did you turn that microphone you off? You asked for me if you would... I am paying for this microphone, Mr. Green. But you guys know the story of that, right? Uh, I don't. Peter may, but... No, not that story. Where Reagan got it from. No, that I don't know. Well, here's a little secret. Reagan was a movie actor. Before he was a politician, he was in the movies. Do tell. This rings a yes, bell. Yes, he was. And um, I think he watched a lot of movies. And my guess is that he watched a movie made in the 1940s starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn with Adolf Manju playing the mean political gamester and uh, Angela Lansbury being his assistant. And Tracy is running, he's sort of the Wendell Wilkie character, and he's running and Catherine Hepburn is his soulmate and loves it, but he gets taken in by these Wall Street people and he starts changing what he's gonna say, more to the big company stuff. So she tells him that she'll stay with him through the election, but then she's leaving him because he's, he's, he's deserted their principles. So the denouement of this movie, and this is in the mid-1940s, but it's a TV show live from their house. And she's in the window looking at him, and he's speaking, and suddenly he goes off the script that they prepared for him and starts speaking from his heart, whereupon Adolf Manju goes like this. Slashes to, his throat. To the, his throat right? to the cameraman, like this. Cut him. And what do you think Spencer Tracy says? <laughs> I'm paying for, for that microphone. microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Grant Matthews. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I can't take any more of this. Don't you shut me off. I'm paying for this broadcast. I did not know that. Well, I've learned something new today. Well, that's, that's, I, that's good. My that's follow-up question is so mundane compared to what you just said, but you mentioned George H.W. Bush sitting on his hands mm -hmm. as, uh, as Ronald Reagan channeled Spencer Tracy. I got to ask, have you been surprised at Jeb Bush's showing in New Hampshire so far? Well, showing in New Hampshire. Um, in New Hampshire, no. I think he's drawn crowds and has answered questions uh, very adequately. His showing on these TV so-called debates has been underwhelming. Um, he's not really forceful, and you've got to be forceful. New Hampshire plays its part, but damn tel telegenics, you know? And it surprised me that a guy who was a successful governor of Florida for, for eight years, uh, well-schooled, um, hasn't projected better. That you know, surprises me. I saw him roll out his uh, health care plan that he would substitute uh, after he repeal, repeals Obamacare. Yeah. And what struck me, and, you know, we in the media love to feign expertise when we don't have it, and I am certainly no exception, but I love to try to imagine, to kind of develop a working theory of what's going on in different candidates' heads. I may be full of it, but the impression I get watching Bush, and I've seen him a couple times up close and personal, is that he's doing this not because he wants to, but because he feels like he is supposed to. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people suspect that, and I have no idea whether it's true or not. He's, he's running hard. He's, he's a smart guy. I think he's starting to get his dander up about some of the things that, uh, that Trump is saying about him and his, his brother. family and his, and his brother. Yeah, so 
Um, you know, Trump hasn't cratered yet, but between McCain's not a war hero because he, he sat in that hotel for seven years, and uh, Bush owns 911, right? Or 911. Ooh, I did national TV and I mistakenly called it 911. I got three emails. You moron. No. <laughs> really? I, I get nervous. You know, radio is much better. <laughs> quick question about, um, or not so quick question about Bernie Sanders. Um, can you characterize the sort of response he's having here in New Hampshire? I mean, the, the, the people who are flocking to his events, um, what do you think's motivating them? What do you think they're coming away with from the events? I, th I think a lot of people think that there is this economic inequality and that the government is responsible for it, and Bernie is going to tell the truth and do something about it. He's telling his version of the truth. Trump is telling his version of the truth, and there are people on both sides who say, yeah, that's it. I had a guy sitting out on a bench in front of this paper. He doesn't work here. He works across the street, and he's a, he's a lifelong Democrat, he says, and he wouldn't want his wife to hear this, but he says, Trump, yeah, he's really giving it to him. You know, Trump is shooting from, from the lip as he does, people like that. People on the left like Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders is saying what a lot of people on the left believe about government and inequality, and he's actually forcing Hillary <laughs> to move in that direction. Now she's against the, the, the trade, trade agreement, right, because she got to see it the other day, which is interesting. Nobody else has, but she was, must have been in one of her emails or something. I think that's the Bernie Sanders effect. But I don't think the idea that because he's from Vermont means that he's got um, a segue into winning in New Hampshire. I don't think a lot of people up here pay any attention to what's happening in Vermont, even on the Democratic side, unless it's, unless it's big and affects them. I don't think they've followed, really, Bernie Sanders' career. They're more likely to follow the governor over there saying uh, that, that the heroin epidemic is really, is really a problem. And he was one of the early um, alert people on that subject. And that filtered over here more than than Bernie Sanders. And Bernie's been around a long time up there. He was, I think, he was the congressman before he was the U.S. senator. Like he's been around forever, right? Yeah, he has, and he he hasn't changed. But but people on both sides are really up up against it this time. He's sort of he's a little bit like Eugene McCarthy was in uh, in '72. Except he doesn't like to talk foreign policy, right? When foreign policy comes up, there was that moment in the Democratic debate where he seemed like he'd spaced out a bit, and he said, I think Putin's really, really going to regret what he's doing. It just seemed like he he wasn't there, you know? He was trying to tune in again. You you must have watched the whole debate. I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to go to bed. So I listened to it, which was really interesting. And Nixon won it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Adam, do you get that? That reference? I get. That okay. I get. So, so when I saw you at uh, the Carly Fiorina event mm -hmm. at the, the Rotary uh, gathering a few weeks back, you said the media pays too much attention to all the poll crap, and yeah. we, we took that out of the TV piece, but we'll leave it on this, this podcast. I'm just wondering what other advice you might have for national media covering the duration of the New Hampshire primary fight 
or those of us who drop in from down in the Boston area and come up and, and try to cover this. What other mistakes is the media making this time around that we should try to avoid making? I don't pretend to advise the national media or the Boston media on, on, on anything. I just think you have to cover what the candidates are saying, ask them about their positions on issues, and ask voters how they were responding to them. But I just think that the national media get tricked, trapped, or love every time around just going with the polls. And going with the polls, these are, these are the same people who write these deep think pieces about the shallowness of the, of the American electorate, and then all they cover, not all, but for the most part, is the horse race right from the start. You know, why, why aren't the candidates focusing on big issues? Well, they are, but nobody's reporting on them because that's considered boring. So the horse race is just easier. It's more fun. It's the boys on the bus. It makes for really funny election year books. Uh, Roger Simon, a friend of mine, uh, has written several of them. Um, but it's not, it's not what needs to be covered. All right, so my last question for you, and we've been talking about national politics, but I got to hark back, hark back, harken back, harken back to something you said at the outset. Are, are you already saying that Maggie Hassan can't top uh, Kelly Ayotte? I, I think she's definitely um, the long shot against uh, Ayotte. Um, I think Ayotte is, uh, is viewed by an awful lot of people in this state as a pretty middle-of-the-road uh, popular, um, getting things done. So I, th I think I think Hassan was asked, cajoled, please do this by the National Democrats because they need a strong top of the ticket here because New Hampshire is a swing state nationally. You know, in Bush v. Gore in 2000, had New Hampshire gone for Gore, there wouldn't be any worry about Florida hanging chads. Or would be in the White House. Hanging chats, it is a blast from the <laughs> past. Adam's question prompts one from me. You know, looking at New Hampshire from a Massachusetts perspective, the state seems awfully welcoming to women for top office. Why do you think that is? Because there's so many women in, in the lower offices. New Hampshire has this very small legislature, only 424 members. <laughs> Third largest English-speaking deliberative body or something in the world. You have to learn that in fourth grade in, in New Hampshire. There's a lot of women, and um, women have made good, good leaders here. Um, the, the head of the uh, your, uh, state Supreme Court is a woman. The governor is a woman. Uh, one of the congressmen is a woman. Both the U.S. Senate is a woman. Um, you know, we're uh, equal opportunity employers here. Good answer. Um, anything else for him? I've run through everything I wanted nope. to ask, I think. We I mean, I'd love that. to keep we, him for another two hours we got and that bounce everything off him that no, we can. I'm going to read a political column. Um, Joe McQuaid, thank you for making time to talk with us. Oh, you, you're entirely welcome. I'll have to tune in. You say that, tune in? To for this, podcast. you'll be clicking online. I'll send you the link and you'll <gasps> click. I'll click on a link. And that is going to do it for the latest installment of The Scrum. Peter Kadzis, as always, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe to The Scrum on iTunes while you're at it. And if you're feeling generous, you could even leave a kind review and maybe tell some of your friends to listen. 
You can find links to iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud on our website, wgbhnews.org scrum. That's S-C-R-U-M. You can also email us feedback and ideas at scrum at wgbh.org. Our producer is Amanda McGowan. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. with my friend.